Listen, we are glad that you are here. There's a book that uh, some of us have been reading in reference to discipleship and the love of God. And, and Caleb, thank you for you and Wendy and the team for, for sharing with us this morning. I don't know if you noticed that uh, those songs specifically, a lot of them were about the love of God and his deep, affectionate, consistent, overwhelming love for us. Did you notice that today as you read? Hopefully you just don't stand up and sing, but hopefully you, you, you look at the words that we sing sometimes because they can just, they're so full. And, um, but I want to read to you a statement in reference to identity uh, in this book that we're reading called The Good and Beautiful God. And James Brian Smith wrote this in reference to identity and, and listen to what these words and what he has to say. He said, the best approach is to keep soaking in the truth of our identity in Christ Practicing spiritual disciplines that deepen those truths and being part of a community that will reinforce those truths. So let me say that again in reference to, to what he was saying about our true identity in Christ and what it looks like. This is what James Smith had to say. He said, listen, he said, the best approach is to keep soaking in the truths of our identity in Christ. Think about that just for a second. Soaking in the truths of our identity in Christ because the world will do everything to try to convince you of just the opposite. Are you on the same page? Then he comes back and he says, not only soaking in the truths of our true identity, he says, practice spiritual disciplines that deepen those truths. What are spiritual disciplines that would deepen um, those truths of our true identity in Christ? What might be some of those spiritual disciplines? Chris, I know that you know one right off the top of your head. It is what? Memorizing scripture. What's another? Prayer. What's another one? What? Quiet time. Reading the word. So you got all these different spiritual disciplines that are really important. He said, listen, not only keep soaking in the truth, but practice spiritual disciplines that deepen those truths. And then he comes back to say, thirdly, being part of a community that will reinforce those truths. I was looking uh, through and I, and I found some very interesting job titles, how people identify themselves, job titles that identify. And listen what Forbes magazines had to say, some very interesting job titles for the way that people are identified. Here's a good one. Director of Sandbags. <laughs> for those of you that... Um, that deal in the, in, the, in the beauty care industry, or you're a beautician, uh, you're a, a barber. What about this one? Herapist. Not a therapist, but a herapist. <laughs> Professional snuggles. Must be a grandparent role there. I don't understand this one. Ranch dressing expert. <laughs> a knitter in residence. A bread scientist. I don't know if Andy's in here today, but a bread scientist. Here we go, for, for those of you that are cat lovers, cat behavior consultant. I love this one, the vice president of miscellaneous stuff. And for all you computer geeks that are here, what about this one? Director of ethical hacking. Or master of disaster. Sandy Jones, for some reason, I think that... That person helps authorities uh, with information needed to recover from disasters. Here's, a, here's another one, Project Meaning. 
person that keeps everybody else on schedule. So they're a meanie, so they're, okay, anyways, that's, I thought you guys would like that one. The ambassador of buzz, communications associate, here's another one. The chief troublemaker is the CEO of a large, large corporation. But you know, we, we t- <laughs> look, man, you done messed me up last week. Don't you do that again this week. I found out why he did what he did last week with all that sound. For those of you that were here, he did that sound because he said I had messed the sound up. That's not true. I don't mess with sound. So anyway, it's a long story. You know, talking about titles and identity, they say that the fastest growing form of crime in America is what? Identity theft. Yeah. Where somebody steals your driver's license number, social security number, credit card information, bank information, and they pretend to be you. And then you have to spend all your time, Joe, trying to pretend that you are who you say you are. You ever been on the phone with somebody saying, and they're asking you these questions, and you've already forgotten how to answer the questions because you don't even remember how you, are you with me? I do that all the time. Well, sir, listen, I have to answer you these security questions, and I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. Because sometimes I forget the way I've answered certain things. But they say that almost 50% of cardholders over the past five years, uh, that their credit card information has been compromised. 50%. Now, I think that's really low in reference to what Meredith and I have experienced just over the past six months. We've had it happen twice to us. That's one of the most aggravating things to have to go back and change all the information around. but it's important as or as valuable as credit card information is and, and driver's license information is and social security information is, um, all those forms of personal identification, they, as important as they are, they don't, they really don't tell who we are and our true identity, do they? I mean, it's, it's really important in reference to your personal assets, but it, as when it comes to your true identity, it really doesn't have an awful lot to say. And so here we are, we've been talking about our identity in Christ, we've been talking about our true identity because it's so easy to accept the lies that the world puts in on us and to believe those things. We've gone back to this passage of scripture in 1 Peter chapter 2, and what we've been looking at is here's Peter, and he's writing to this group of people that have been persecuted, they have been scattered. Probably family has turned against them. They have been facing all kinds of struggles. Peter, knowing that they're struggling, that they're knowing that he knows that they're dealing with all kinds of issues and doubts, uh, confusion in their mind, and he's writing to confirm to them some things that are very, very important to say, look, guys, there's some stuff that I want you to look at that I just don't want you to forget. And I want to read that passage of Scripture to you again uh, very quickly because Because here he is saying to them, I want you to know who you are. Students, it's very important that when you go to school, you know who you are. Because you're in those formative years. Adults, it's very important for you to know who you are. Because it's so easy to believe the lies of Satan. Very easy for you to believe those lies of Satan. And so here's Peter, and he says this. He says, look, guys, man, you aren't like those other people. He says, you are a chosen people. You're a child of God. He said, not only that, he says, you're a royal priest. You have direct access to the Father. You don't have to go through anybody else. Man, you've got direct access to the Father. And then he said, also, you are a holy nation. You're the bride of Christ, pure, because the blood of Christ has covered you. 
You should be living in anticipation as the bride of Christ for the bridegroom to return. Use every moment and every opportunity that you have to be in preparation because he's coming back. And then today, look at what he says, as well as God's very own possession. Man, you're a servant of God into which we go, okay, let's stop there just for a second. Because the word servant, we doesn't really sort of like that, do we? I mean, servant, are you kidding me? Slave? Uh, I don't think so. That's, that's a little bit too much. But that term servant, slave of God, has been given to some of the greatest people inside of the Scriptures. I, I would have to dare say that, it, that at Billy Graham's funeral, and I wasn't there, I watched, was able to watch some of the, the services this past week. I, I would have to dare say that there are people that would say Billy Graham would have loved to be identified as a slave or a servant of God. I don't know how you define yourself, but that's a big deal. I mean, how do you define yourself in, in relationship to an eternal heavenly father that sent his son to die for us? And that role of servant may be difficult to embrace, yet for the believer, it captures something for us that reflects our greatest freedom. I mean, it really doesn't make sense. A servant and yet free, but it's the truth. Just a few verses later, Peter would make this statement in verse 16. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. The Bible teaches us that all of us are sinners, and there are no exemptions. There are three things in this world that I do know. Number one, all of us are sinners. Look at the people around you. There are no perfect people. I don't care what their name is. I don't care what their position is. I don't care how old they are, how young they are. Every one of us in this room have that in common. Even you, Troy, as great of a person as you are, you are a sinner. That's hard to come to grips with, can it be? A sinner. Me. Yeah. The second thing that I know is that every one of us in this room will at some point in time die. That's a reality. This world that we live in is temporary, but there's going to come a time, not only will I die, but the third thing is that we're going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account of our, of our lives. Think about that. Three things. I'm a sinner. Number two, I'm going to die. And number three, one day I'm going to have to stand before the Lord and give an account. My life, my sin separates me from God, and yet Christ came to set us free by taking on uh, the consequences of our sin upon himself. And here it is, the freedom that we have in Christ can only be experienced when we in turn serve the one for whom our freedom was birthed. That's where freedom comes in. When we come to recognize what Jesus did, recognize our condition, and come to the place of saying, I want to humble myself and serve the one who died for me. And that's where the freedom happens to come from. This is what Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Paul said, but now you are free from the power of sin and have become slaves. You might want to circle or you might want to underline that. You've become servants or slaves of God. Now you do those things that lead to holiness and result in eternal life. If you go on and you look at verse 23, for those of you that are Bible scholars and Chris that have memorized Scripture, 
it says, for the wages of sin is what? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is exactly what it says. Regardless if we like it or not, all of us have a master in this room. If you've trusted Christ, your master is who? Our Heavenly Father. If you've trusted Christ, our master is our Heavenly Father. No longer is our is master our uh, is sin our master, but our freedom lies in submitting and committing ourselves and our lives to Him. In that word, in verse twenty-two, the word slave. Um, in some translations, you'll find the word servant. In the Greek, is doulao, which means um, becoming a servant or to bring into bondage. Some English some translations use the English phrase bond servant. I want to be able to tell you what bond servant means. In Roman times, a bond servant or a slave could have been someone who voluntarily served, but usually it was a person who had a permanent position of being a servant or slave. Under Roman law, a bond servant was considered the owner's personal property and the person essentially had no rights. Now, in the Old Testament, the Bible is, is full of, of, of men, uh, of people uh, who were given that term slave or servant. One of those was Abraham. In a passage of Scripture in the book of Genesis, we see where God, speaking to Isaac, his son, says something along this line in Genesis chapter 26, verse 24. This is what he says. He says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. And he said, do not be afraid, for I am with you, and I will bless you. And I will multiply your descendants, and they will become a great nation. And I will do this because of my promise to Abraham, my servant. Joshua, David were also mentioned as servants of God, but also the prophet Isaiah. In the New Testament, we find some others who, who were given that title or assumed that title of servant of God. Here's some of those in Titus chapter 1, Paul Paul identified himself as a slave of God. In Romans chapter 1, Paul identified himself as a slave of Christ Jesus. In Philippians chapter 1, Paul wrote, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. And then you've got James, the brother of Jesus, and also the leader in the early church. In James chapter 1, he identified himself as a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, you remember Peter, the guy who denied Jesus, you remember that? And the rooster crowing. <laughs> Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends, in 2 Peter chapter 1, identified himself as a slave and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Then Jude, another brother of Jesus, and also a brother of James, um, he identified himself, Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. And then there was John. John, who had been exiled to the Isle of Patmos when he was writing the book of Revelation, in the book of Revelation, he also identified himself as a servant of God. <laughs> you know, these guys could have used any, any term that they wanted to to be able to identify themselves. But they used the word servant. I, I asked this question earlier, but how do you identify yourself? Think about that. I mean, when somebody asks you who you are, if you were to write a letter, I mean, Larry, what would you say? John, I mean, how, how would you identify yourself? This is John. I happen to be Kate's husband, and I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. 
I mean, how do, how do, we, how do we think about it? You know, Charlie, when, you, when, you, when you're at work, do you say, I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm an employee of, of Munn's Air Conditioning, but I also want you to know that I'm a slave and a servant of Jesus Christ. It's pretty deep, isn't it? Pretty deep. And during the time of the New Testament, this is what we know, during the time that these words were being penned, they'll tell us that some one-third of the Roman population were serving as slaves. Another third, at some point in time in their life, had served as a slave. During this time, we also know that there were Jews that had slaves as well. And so if a person fell on difficult times, they could sell them slaves. They can sell themselves um, to a slave as a slave to another person. And we might think, man, that's, that's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. But it also could be one of the greatest acts of sacrifice especially when they had no other way to take care of their family or to take care of their, their friends or to, to meet needs. Um, as a matter of fact, as many times, that was the reason why it happened, because they didn't have a way of earning an income. And so they would sell themselves. Um, it was very prominent when, when God instituted the law back in the Old Testament, and this is what we find in Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 15, verse 12 and following. This is what the Scriptures had to to say, if a fellow Hebrew sells himself or herself to be your servant and serves you for six years in the seventh year, you must set the servant free. He goes on to say, when you release a male servant, do not send him away empty-handed, but give him a generous farewell gift from your flock. In other words, some animals, whatever they may be, a goat, sheep, a chicken, I don't know. He said, not only give them something from your flock, he said, but also from your threshing floor. In other words, give them some grain. So give him some animals, give him some grain, and also give him some wine from your wine press. Share with him some of the bounty which the Lord your God has blessed you with. Remember that you were once slaves in the land of Egypt, and that the Lord your God redeemed you, and that's why I'm giving you this command. And then look at what he says in verse 16 and verse 17. But just suppose, suppose your servant, suppose your servant says, I will, I will not leave you. Because he loves you and he loves your family. And he has done well with you. In that case, take an awl. Does anybody know what an awl is? How many of you know what an ice pick is? You ever used an ice pick? Not on somebody. <clears throat> but he said, take an awl. An awl is like an ice pick. It was a tool that was been used for, for carving. It could have been to make holes in wood or make holes in something. He said, take an awl and push it through the earlobe into the door. And after that, he'll be your servant for life and do the same for your female servants. In other words, I want you to mark them. Mark them. <laughs> and you might consider living the rest of your life as something that's unthinkable. But think about the sign of trust and commitment that it brings about for the person that says, man, I don't want to leave you. I trust you. I know that you've got my best interest at mind. I know that you care for me and you've provided for me and my family. And so I'm choosing to stay. I want you to know that I trust you as my master. And my love for you and me staying is not about an obligation, but it's about an opportunity. It's out of gratitude. It's out of love. And I want you to think about that in reference to our relationship with Jesus. Before Christ, broken, 
without hope. Yet Christ in his mercy purchased us, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood, his precious blood. And now we aren't obligated, but we're compelled because we know the price that was paid. And here we are, we take on this identifying mark saying, I'm yours. Jesus, I want you to know that I'm yours, and I want everybody to know that I'm yours. So you've got this identity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, Paul writes, he said, And he has identified us, being God, by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment that guarantees everything that he has promised. An earthly bondservant, an outward mark so that others could identify him. Let me tell you who he is. Man, he's a servant of so-and-so. His master so-and-so, and I know it because I know that mark. An outward mark not only indicated ownership, but the servant's inward commitment and love for the master. That outward mark would have been also a sign of an inward love and commitment that that servant had made. They were willing to choose to stay, not out of compulsion, not out of obligation, but gratitude. And here it is, as followers of Christ, inwardly, we've got the, the working of the Holy Spirit within our lives. And then outwardly through baptism, a symbol of our commitment and love to Jesus. Recognizing that we are dead to sin and we are raised to walk in a new life. Caleb, where are you at? That's exactly what you've done. This is a mark to you. This is an identifying, this is an identifier. That Caleb clean has taken that mark today to say, outwardly I want everybody in here to know who's whose I am, that I'm a servant of the King. And it's an inward sign of what's taking place in the change and the work of the Holy Spirit within your life. You are different. You're a servant of Jesus. And every one of us in this room that has is, that is pledged that commitment and that love and has participated in baptism has said, I am a child of the King. I recognize that I'm a royal priest. I'm the bride, but I'm God's servant I am under his command. I'm under his leadership. I have willingly placed my life under him to say, Jesus, I trust you, not out of obligation, but out of a commitment to know. I want you to know, Jesus, I trust you and I love you. Have you ever participated in that? I mean, just because you've participated in it, do, do people know that's who you are? I mean, does your life represent a commitment and a servant attitude towards Christ and his ways? Because slavery and servants were a familiar part of the culture, that would oftentimes Jesus would, would use those analogies to teach, to bring about something that was a, 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 an analogy, some type of a, a teaching, an amplify, to amplify his teaching. And there was a time that Jesus had basically heard enough. And you guys will be able to, those of you that have grown up in church, you can identify with this. Because you know, here they are, the disciples, they're hanging out from time to time. And the conversation comes up about who's the greatest. Who's going to sit on the left and who's going to sit on the right? Who's going to be in charge? Who's going to be uh, the one that we, this in control? And it's like Jesus had heard this going on and on and on. And he's like, well, man, they just don't get it. Because Jesus didn't do things the way this world said to do them. And so at one point in time, he sits them down. And this is what it records in Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus sat them down. He called the, the, the 12 disciples over and he said to them, okay, guys, listen, I, I know y'all been having this conversation, but let me just say something to you really quickly. 
Whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. <laughs> okay. All right. You mean to tell me that doesn't make any sense, Jesus? See, they, they, they thought the same way that you think. Servant, I thought being large is in charge was about sitting in the, in, the, in the greatest seat. I thought it was about the places of authority, the places of position. And Jesus said, no, no. He said, uh, he said if, if you really want to be large and in charge, then serve other people. See, I, I didn't create you to be served, but I created you to serve. But Jesus just didn't tell them what he, what he wanted them to hear. But also where there was that point in time, not long after this, when he would demonstrate it. And he would take off his robe and he would take a towel and he would get down on his knees. And those guys that were with him, he would take and he would wash their feet. The hands that created the heavens and the earth, putting himself in a position to wash the disciples' feet. Not only washing the disciples' feet, those who declared that they loved him, but also washing the feet of the one that he knew that would eventually betray him. I want you to think about that for a second. See, it's easy to serve somebody that you love and serve somebody that loves you, but what about the person that you know that doesn't love you or the person that's different from you. In John chapter 13, this is what the scripture records that happened at that time. The words were in verse starting in verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and he sat down. And Jesus asked them the question, do you guys, do y'all understand what's going on here? I mean, do you understand what, I, what I'm doing? See, you call me teacher and Lord and, and you're right because that's what I am. And since I, and, and, and he says, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are not greater than their master. Nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for what? Doing them. Doing, not just talking about them. Not just knowing them. But Jesus said, listen, you want to be blessed, go do it. Take this which I have taught you. Take this which I have demonstrated to you. And you go do it for others. I was in a position last, last year. Um, I was in a conversation in a, in, a, in a ministry setting in another country with a group of pastors. And in, in the midst of that conversation, I knew that this I knew that there were going to be some conversations that were going to be had, and they had asked me if I would meet with them that night. <clears throat> and so I, I began asking, God, what is it you want me to communicate? Because I knew that there were some tensions in, in, in relationship to cultural expectations and um, things that were personal preferences, but they weren't of Scripture. Does that make sense? I mean, there's a lot of times that we get things mixed up from, from what Scripture has to say and what we prefer. That happens all the time. Our preferences always seem to sometimes trump what God's Word has to say. 
And so I knew they were going to ask me some, some really important questions that night, and I was just asking the Lord for wisdom. God, how do you want me to respond in the midst of this? I mean, how can I communicate with a, with a group of people that I know that think this way about this certain thing or these things, and how, how can I communicate them that, man, it's just not really that important? So we got together that night, and, but I, for some reason I felt like that afternoon while praying, I felt like the Lord wanted me to wash their feet. And I'm like going, you got to be kidding me. I don't wash them. I mean, I mean, I don't mind washing feet. I have no, listen, I wash every one of your feet, but then you got to wash mine, right? No, I, 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 didn't, that didn't, but I kept trying to say, God, why do you want me to do that? That didn't make any sense to me. But I knew that's, I felt like that's really what the Lord wanted me to do. And so here I was in the midst of this conversation that night with these, this group of pastors around a, a little bitty dim light that kept going in and out and in and out in this, in this room. And there were these heated conversations that were taking place in reference to some scriptural things and theological things. And all of a sudden it dawned on me, that's why God wanted me to wash your feet. So I quickly made my way out and I, and I asked the lady that had helped us, I said, I need a bowl. And I'm thinking, a bowl? Where in the world are they going to find a bowl? They don't have a bowl. I said, I need some water, and I need a towel. So hurriedly, you know, I, she started to try to go prepare and, and bring things to me, and we're having these discussions, and it was almost like I had gotten up and went to the bathroom and came back. These guys didn't have a clue what was going on, and then all of a sudden she walked in the, in the room, and she put down this basin that was about this big that they would make bread in. And then she brought in a towel, and they're looking at me, and they're, they're looking, you know, like, what's going on here? And I looked at them, and I said, I feel like for some reason God wants me to wash your feet. It was really uncomfortable. Not for me, but for them. When's the last time you've washed somebody's feet? They were talking and giggling. And I couldn't understand a word they were saying, talking in a different language. And, and then all of a sudden, it, it was like the Spirit of God fell in that place. Probably 30 minutes. One by one by one. And then when I was done, all of a sudden they, they, they insisted they had to wash my feet, every one of them. I had washed all their feet, so they all, as a sign of affection, had all had to wash my feet. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, God, why this? And at the end, the Lord spoke to me, and he said this. He said to me, um, you know, when you spend your time washing the feet of others and serving, you have less time to be distracted. You have less time to be involved in communication and activities that are meaningless. I don't want you to miss that. Did you hear what I said? When we are busy doing the work and being God's servant, when we are serving other people, there's less time for us to be distracted. 
There's less time for us to be able to be caught up in these conversations that are nothing more than, than meaningless and distracting. When we're serving the lives of others, when we're being the hands and feet of Jesus, we don't have time for all this other activity that's, that can be so destructive. And I challenged them that day. And they were challenged to not spend as much time being concerned about those things that were distracting. But to recognize and understand that our salvation isn't about the way we dress. Our salvation isn't about all the good works that we do. But our salvation only comes through faith in Christ Jesus. And I'll always remember the end of that conversation that night as they huddled together. And they looked at me and they had a spokesperson and he said, Pastor Sid, we want you to know that we believe that salvation comes through no other way than that which is Jesus Christ. And we want that to be the center of our teaching and preaching from here out. It's amazing when all of a sudden we assume the responsibility of being God's servant. Servants serve. Say that with me. Servants serve. Servants serve. Servants serve. We're to serve. A non-serving Christian is an oxymoron. There is no such thing. There is no such thing as a, a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ that's given their life to Christ and they don't serve others. They don't exist. A follower of Christ, as a follower of Christ, we are a servant. We are a representation of the master himself. We must serve. Jesus willingly laid down his life and he gave his life for our good. And when we serve, we imitate and we reflect God's love. There is no athlete that I know that loves to sit, real athlete that loves to sit on the bench. No, coach, just let me sit on the bench. I just want to sit on the bench. I just want to sit on the bench. No. Man, listen, every once in a while when I was coming up, I'd have to say, hey, coach, coach, put me in, coach. You know, coach put me in, and I didn't sit on the other side. I mean, you, sometimes you go to a ball game, and there'll be kids sitting way on the other side. Man, I'm like, I'm sitting right there. Y'all better move down because I want to be the one that's going in. Put me in, coach. Put me in the game. Every day is game time. Not just here on Sunday mornings, man. Every day is game time. Every day we ought to be looking for ways that we can serve so that we can make the master more meaningful. Sunday mornings for us is game time. There are plenty of opportunities to serve. Maybe you just don't know where. Maybe you don't know how to serve or where you might be able to serve. Man, take that little yellow card out before we get done here and just say, listen, I don't know where to serve. Write your name and stuff on there, enter information, but just say, I want to serve. I want to be in the game. And I go back to what Peter had to say. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. You are a holy nation. You are God's very own possession. And you know what happens when we live out our true identity? Look at what he has to say at what he says next. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. When we live out our true identity, we become a light for Jesus in the darkness. Man, it's great to be able to huddle together with a bunch of lights. 
But if you truly want to be a light, see what it's like to be in a dark place. If you've ever been in a dark, dark place, a little bit of light makes a huge difference. God didn't just call us to assemble in these places, man, that have great carpet and great chairs and, and, and wonderful technology, but he called us to go into the world and be a light and to live as his children and to recognize that we have direct access to him, that we are the bride of Christ and that we are living pure because sin is no longer our master. But he also calls us to serve, to serve. What Jesus did for the disciples that night in the upper room is a picture of what he has done for us. I love what the scripture says, and I close out with this. Philippians chapter 2, how can I not use this passage? Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, you must have the same attitude that of Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. But instead, he gave up his divine privileges, and he took on the humble position of a slave, a bondservant. And he was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death. Freedom, true freedom comes when we die to ourselves. When my life is no longer my own, but all of a sudden I recognize who my real master is, Jesus Christ, who's recognized, who's rescued us. When you recognize who Jesus is and that he's Lord of your life, it's a whole lot easier to live out of your true identity. You know what the first step in salvation is? Recognizing our sin and how destitute that we really are. Having no place to go, no resources to sustain us, no hope for the future. And recognizing our true master and who he is and being willing to submit ourselves to him, Mark, and saying, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you. I don't have to control life on my own. I don't have to be the one that's large and in charge, and I don't have to be the one in the driver's seat of my life. But Jesus, I trust you. And because of that, I want to stay with you forever. And I want to commit myself to you. And I want the Holy Spirit in my heart to change me because sin is no longer my master. And I want to take that identifying mark as an outward sign to the world of whose I am. Am. And if you don't know Jesus today, man, listen, there's no greater decision in life than we can make than to say, Jesus, I want to trust you. I'm going to ask if our overseers that are here this morning would come and stand. And I want to be able to pray over you as we're closing today. Maybe there's somebody here that doesn't know Christ. Today is a great opportunity for you to say, Man, listen, I, I don't understand all this stuff, but I want to give my life to Jesus. You can come this morning after the service and approach one of these guys and say, listen, will you tell me a little bit more about what it means to trust Jesus Christ? Maybe you're here today and you're struggling with some issues and you need to pray with somebody 
we want to, we'd love to be able to pray with you. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, look, man, I, I'm a believer, but I'm not in the game. I've been sitting on the bench. I know that I can serve on the outside, and lots of our people serve on the outside, but listen, there are places here that you can serve, that you can be the hands and feet of Jesus. Pull out one of those yellow cards, fill it out, and say, look, man, I don't know where you need me at, but I just want to tell you I'm available. I'm available. Find a spot for me because I want to be, on, I want to be, I want to be in the game. I want to be in the game. Just drop it in one of these, these uh, offering boxes on the way out after you fill it out and say, call me. Tell me where I can be involved. But if you don't know Jesus today, there's no greater day than today than to say, Jesus, I want to give my life to you.